Welcome to the Asking Why podcast. I'm your host, Clint Davis. I'm a marriage and family therapist and licensed professional counselor trained in trauma and addiction. The Asking Why podcast is for anyone on a journey of healing and restoration. If you are searching for answers to life's questions and want to learn more about root causes from a psychological and theological mix, this show is for you. In this podcast, myself and a co-host from Clint Davis Counseling and Integrative Wellness will interview guests on a wide range of topics in order to get down to the heart of the problems facing our world and understand why things happen and how to change the world and ourselves for the better. Want to learn more tips and tricks to living a healthy lifestyle? Visit us at Clint Davis Counseling and Integrative Wellness on Facebook and Instagram. If you want to meet our staff or book a speaker, go to clintdaviscounseling.com. Thanks for listening and be sure to subscribe today. All right. Episode 33 of the Asking Wild podcast with Clint Davis. We have today, we have Uriah Oxford with us. Um, he's one of our therapists here at Clint Davis Counseling. And we're going to talk a little bit about religious trauma, um, religious abuse, and then how we can recover from that. Um, so yeah, it's a heavy topic. So there, you know, in our practice, we see a lot of people were Christians who counsel. Um, Uriah is a biblical counselor. Um, and I'm a marriage and family therapist and licensed professional counselor. And so we have kind of these two arms that we work through where we, we have counseling where, you know, we can see anybody through a clinical licensing lens, but then we also have, um, our foundations in Christ and the biblical teachings. And so, you know, for most of us here, um, we're not biblical counselors, we're Christians who counsel, but specifically for your eye, he can go from a biblical perspective a little bit more heavily. So, um, yeah, we're gonna talk about that. So, you're right. Tell us who you are, kind of your background, and cool. Yeah, thank you. It's good to be here. Um, so, who am I? Gosh, I've never really thought about it. Wow. Your eyes a four on the enneagram, <laughs> yeah. so this is going to take a while, guys. <laughs> I'm a four wing five, so yeah. that's the the worst, the worst kind. Um, well, I work here as a pastoral counselor, uh, as as you said, and I started about about a year and a half ago, and. Um, full-time ministry for 20 years in practically every role you know in the church started out as children's pastor moved into evangelism uh everything in between senior adults and then uh pastor and church planting you know that's been that's been my background and moved down to new orleans to do seminary and that was the time when i really began to uh, be stretched theologically, doctrinally, and, you know, being a four-wing five, my five really kicked in, and I would most of the time be skipping class and going to the library and just devouring all the cool stuff that I wanted to to know about, uh, about doctrine and God and theology. And there, there was a point when one of our professors brought in the two leading New Testament scholars in the world, so it was uh, Dr. N.T. Wright and John Dominic Crossan. You may not know those names, it's not important, but uh, so uh, N.T. Wright represents the conservative wing, you know, of, of everything that we were about at New Orleans Seminary and everything that I'd been raised in. And Dom <clears throat> Crossan represented the uh, as far left liberal Christianity as possible. You know, he believed that Jesus was taken off of the, the cross, thrown into the trash heap, and his body was eaten by dogs, and so doesn't even believe in a literal resurrection. And that was the first time in my life that I began to really scratch my head and allow myself to ask the question, 
what if everything that we've been taught all along is is wrong? What if Dom Crossan is right uh, over over uh, N.T. Wright? So I went and bought his book, and that just began the so-called slippery slope that you hear about at youth camp. Like, don't go down those slippery slopes. Right. So I went down that slippery slope, led me into liberal Christianity, which led me into just uh, agnosticism, leaning towards atheism. And uh, it, the funny thing is I, I pastored my church that I planted for one year as an agnostic. So I'd get in the pulpit, preach every Saturday night, and, and what was amazing about that is that the Holy Spirit just poured the gospel out of me during that season of my life. And people would come up to me and say, wow, we've never seen you preach like this. Like you, man, what's going on? Like we just see the power of God in you. And, and I couldn't tell anybody, you know, because mm-hmm. they want you to believe the story, you know, that they're paying you to preach every week. But so I, they didn't know you were agnostic. They didn't. Right. They so this didn't. was an internal struggle. You this was an on. internal struggle. And, you know, the root of all of that is... Um, you know, we're, it's always trauma, right? Just unresolved childhood trauma, depression. I'd been battling depression. Uh, the moment I started full-time ministry and just the overwhelm of that just was, was crushing me, anxiety and depression. And there were seasons where I would go to my wife and say, hey, I don't think I want to be married anymore. I think I want a divorce. And we did that about three times, you know, over the course of 10 years and then uh, one day, and this was during my agnostic phase, and, and Lisa knew a little bit about what was going on, that I was questioning and doubting and so on and so forth. And she just came in and she said, all right, I'm going to make it easy. Uh, I, I can tell that you don't want to be in this marriage, and so I'm going to leave you. And uh, so I let her. She left. And long story short, she got really sick during that period. Um, she had a condition in her, uh, always get this part wrong, it's not the esophagus, it's the trachea, tracheal stenosis. Her trachea started shrinking from scar tissue and it got down to the size of a drinking straw. Mm-hmm. And the doctor said, you know, wow, you could die in your sleep. You have to have a surgery. There's not a case as bad as yours in the world documented. You have to have this surgery. You could die during the surgery, but you could also die in your sleep. You have to do this. And so... She goes in for her first surgery. The, uh, the swelling got so bad that they said, time out. We're going to lose this kid, this girl. Let's, let's back up, punt, and we'll do this you know, in three to four weeks. We'll do a different procedure. So they come in. They do the they, – they, well, she comes in, and, and uh, she's on the gurney. I'm there. We're praying together with her and her mom and dad. Now, and, and you're agnostic at this point. I'm still, still yeah, yeah, I'm still just, yeah, I'm free. You Explain know? what agnostic is to people who don't okay. know what that is. So I didn't, this, this is how I say it, uh, I didn't have enough faith to be an atheist. Atheism means there is no God and, and that you are, you are absolutely sure that there's no God. I didn't have enough faith to be a, an atheist. So I had to settle on good, good old-fashioned agnosticism, which just means... I don't know. There right. possibly could be a God, could not be a God, and I just, I just didn't know. So, so yeah, I so wasn't you're divorced at this point. No, we're not. Okay. Uh, on that instance, we were not. Okay, but so not the, married and separated. Separated, gotcha. yeah, for sure. So you're throwing a hell Mary to the God who might be there. Yeah. Well, this time she got called out. Uh, the doctor got called out for a family emergency and couldn't do the second procedure either. 
So they said, all right, we're going to come back and do it again in a few weeks. And, and it happened to be on my birthday, January 13th. And it also happened to be Friday the 13th. And I'm like, okay, that's not the day you want to have a life, you know, threatening surgery. But nonetheless, on my birthday, Friday the 13th, the night before she calls and she's scared, obviously. And, and I said, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to pray for a miracle. She's like, well, I didn't think you believed in God anymore. I said, well, you know, I'm working on that. And so I told her I loved her and uh, didn't, for whatever reason, I just didn't go to the hospital that next day. She's like, no, go into work. You need to make money. And uh, so that's what I did. And I got a phone call the next day from her, from her mom, which I call mom. And mom said, son, <laughs> she called me son. And at that point, we had been divorced for two weeks. And she said, Lisa's out of surgery. I was like, yes, ma'am. And, and I'm bracing myself for just... I know she's not dead because mom wouldn't call and say, yeah, you know, your ex-wife is dead. I knew mom wouldn't do that. But I'm right. thinking at least she's on life support or she's a tracheotomy, something bad. And um, she said, and it, it was my exact words, because the night I got off the phone, the Holy Spirit woke me up every hour on the hour. And I prayed these words. God, this, this is the Hail Mary moment. God, whoever you are, whatever is out there. I need a miracle. I need you to heal my wife. It was like every hour on the hour, like a biblical story. And um, so mom called, said Lisa's out of surgery. The doctors went in and they saw that her uh, trachea had opened up on its own. She's not going to have to have surgery. They're scratching their heads. They're saying this is a bona fide miracle. They've never seen anything like it in their lives. They've never seen a case that bad, and they've never seen a miracle that powerful. And brother, when I tell you that I met God that day, like I was, uh, I was baptized, ba you know, <laughs> baptism in the spirit, the fear of God, the love of God, the mercy of God, the grace of God, just the fire of God just fell in that moment. And I feel like the Holy Spirit spoke two things. One, that is the wife of your youth. And that's how I knew it was the spirit of Yahweh, the, uh, that, because that's biblical language, the wife of your youth fight for her, be with her for the rest of your days. And two, I've called you to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. Do those two things. And like Jonah spit out of the, spit out of the mouth of the fish, I hit the ground running. Uh, my healing church was uh, River Park, Pastor Mark Briggs. So shout out Pastor Mark, I'm praying for you. And uh, my other healing place was Broadmoor Baptist Church, Dr. Pusho, another shout out. And Derek Pierce was my counselor, and for uh, one year, I just sat my butt on the couch and did the work. But prior to that, Dr. Chuck sent me to Colorado Springs to do a one-week intensive, and it was during that one week that, for the first time, I dealt with therapy my childhood. Therapy intensive? Yeah, therapy intensive in Colorado Springs. And that was the first time that I sat down and faced the fears or the demons, if you will, of my childhood trauma, and I mm. told this man... Dr. Bird, things that I that I knew that I was going to go to the grave with. I will never tell another human soul these things that I saw that happened to me because it was so shameful. And I told him, and that's when the healing began. And so I came back, and I was with Dr. Pierce for a year at Broadmoor under their wing. I was so naive. I thought, oh, yeah, Broadmoor, they're just good people. And they were just fitting the bill the whole time. That's how good that they, Dr. Chuck and those guys over there are. So, um, yeah, Lisa and I remarried, uh, 
And about a month later, he opened the door for me to go back into the pastorate, become a pastor again. And that Did, was how many years ago? That was about 10 years ago. And then, so I, and so I was in, uh, ended up switching denominations, uh, went to the United Methodist Church and served uh, in that denomination and that tradition for seven years. And then you and I met on the mats at Jiu-Jitsu. And one day out of the blue, you just texted me and said, hey man, I need some men you know, on staff. We're full, the phone's ringing off the hook. We don't have enough people to help us. Will you pray about coming? And so me and Lisa, we looked at it, we prayed and we thought, of course, everything that we've gone through in our life that God allowed us to go through that suffering, yeah, we want to be able to walk people through that. And that's what I do literally every day. Like that story, I tell that story practically every day. Right. And uh and it's it's um it's just a it's just a blessing to be able to do this. So to anticipate one of your questions, you know, why the switch? I really don't see it as a switch. The only difference is that I'm not preaching weekly and I'm not on staff as a church, but preaching you know, from the pulpit. Preaching from the pulpit. But as far as walking with people and pastoring people, I'm still doing it. Mm-hmm. Maybe doing it more now than ever. Yeah. You know, because this is so specialized, you know, what I'm what I'm doing. Yeah. So that's that's my story. That's good stuff. Yeah, I'm super proud of you, man. I mean, I think it's been super cool to go um from meeting, what, when do we meet? Like five years, six years ago? Yeah, we met at um, that you, you know, you were working, conference. you were speaking at no, no, actually, it's, it's interesting how we even met because I wasn't supposed to be Methodist because I said, There's no way that I will ever be Methodist, so never say never, right? right. And you're not from that tradition either, Mm-mm. and we just happened to show up. You know, you came to our office one day to staff, meeting. oh, yeah, 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 that's you right, came to staff meeting and, and shared. Uh, your testimony and what you were doing with the children's home, right? Mm-hmm. And all yeah. So I was. We had uh, we had just launched Family Plus, Plus program, which was kind of my vision for counseling in Treeport through the Methodist Children's Home. And so I was trying to connect with churches to kind of do what we're doing now, um, but under their kind of umbrella. And so yeah, I just had called or cold called somebody and was like, "Hey, yeah. Pastor, I need to come talk about mental health in the church and want to do some trainings and want to connect and." Yeah, that's yeah. right, because you were sitting there. Yeah, and I was so, I mean, I was just so drawn to your story and just your approach and just your just your presence that I filed you away in the back of my head. And I said, okay, when I need counseling again, because I know that I will, I'm going to call Clint Davis. And then inevitably, you know, six months goes by. And, you know, and then I ran into you at uh, the annual conference at Centenary. You were coming out the back door. I was sneaking in the back door because I'm an introvert, four wing five. You were coming out the back door. And I connected with you again. I was like, ah, it's like, I'm supposed to call you. And you're like, well, call me, man. Call me, buddy. And, and you was like, all right, love you, buddy. You know, like, like you do. And I still didn't call you. And then we ran into, it was then at the Warrior Network where I invited oh, yeah, you to yeah. come and train jujitsu with us. And then, you know, you came, you came not long after that. We had that conversation. So that's how we met. Yeah. And, and so, you know. I, I got to hear your story and hear this story that you just told before in different in different parts of it, and obviously some deeper parts that not everybody needs to listen to. Um, but the reality is, is that you know I just saw in you somebody who, because of your experience, because of your trauma, because of you know the integration that you did, and because of the healing that the Holy Spirit's done in you, you know really 
pushed you to go, hey, I think you'd be a great therapist and counselor. And, you know, if we're being honest, there were some things you were talking about at the time that you weren't happy with and some systems in the church you weren't happy with. And mm-hmm. just kind of like, how do I, what do I want to do for the next 20, 30 years? Yeah. Yeah. That's probably a good segue. You yeah. Know, so in, into my laundry list of everything that's wrong with contemporary church. Right. So, so <laughs> for those listening, you know, that's what prompted me to go, okay, Uriah would be a great person to talk about this. We, we, you know, I see a lot of stuff in the media. I see a lot of stuff in the news. And then I see a, a ton of things in our offices where people come in who claim Christianity, who, who have been churched. And we're going to talk specifically about Christianity today. I mean, I'm, I know there's tons of religious abuse in, you know, all the other denominations, religious and religion in general. And there's a huge, you can watch debates between Sam Harris and Jordan Peterson online Sam Harris is a staunch atheist. And yeah, he was one of my heroes, actually, during that period. He's one of the four horsemen of the new atheist movement. Sam right. Harris and Smart guy, kind. Yeah. Buddha, he's Buddhist. Yeah. Um, but if you watch the debates, and you watch any debates with that, the, the main goal is to say that all religion is terrible yeah. and harmful. Yeah. And religion. And dogmatic religion is the, mm-hmm. is the big problem. So talk a little bit about um, what that is. Dogmatic religion from your perspective. Like... Yeah, this is so the what sucked me in with those guys. So it was so it was Sam Harris, Daniel Dennett, uh, Christopher Hitchens, and uh, Richard Dawkins. I actually read Dawkins' book first, and I and I discovered the rest of them through reading his work. And I mean that I think that's the part that they actually get right. I mean there was so much trauma and death and blood shed over the centuries. Uh, in every major uh, religion, you know, whether, I mean, even the Buddhists, you know, we think of Buddhists as like, oh, they're, they're peaceful and so on and so forth. But gosh, you see, you look at the, at the underbelly of their tradition and you see bloodshed and, and people killing in the name of Buddha, Muhammad, Jesus, all of it. And so that, I think that's the part that they actually got right. It was like, you know, that dogma piece that gets push down our throats and the people's throats so much is taken too far. And when it's not put in check, that's when things just get really, really bad. And, you know, people, people want to cite their God or their faith or their religion or their pet passages of scripture, right? Mm -hmm. You know, proof texting, like, you know, this is what we're going to do in the name of violence and death, which, you know, usually comes, comes down to, well, in the ancient world was, was land or money or power or something like that. It's obviously different now in the modern world. But um, to answer the question, I think it comes back to leaders mishandling and misrepresenting the Word of God based around their hidden narcissistic agendas and people uh, blindly following them and, and doing uh, what the what the leaders say should be done in the name of that said God or or holy book. Yeah, I heard it recently, um, and we talked about this before, but there's a podcast out right now called The Fall of Mars Hill. I think it's about Mark Driscoll mm-hmm. and some big churches, and yeah. I, I didn't get to listen to it. I think it came out last week, but mm-hmm. we had already had the schedule, and I was like, oh, I'd love to listen to it before, but I just didn't have time. But um, one of the things I hear all the time is kind of that idea of charisma over character yeah, or loyalty over transparency. And, and that was... That that was Mark Driscoll in a nutshell. I actually uh, got to spend time with him and, and his leadership. I did their their um, uh, 
their church planning boot camp and the dude just drips with charisma and he was unapologetically like he became famous as being the cussing pastor right so he was unapologetically raw and so on and so forth and, and yelled he was, a lot he was trying to you know, he used language like, uh, you know, the church has become soft and feminine and mamby-pamby, and we're trying to bring, you know, Christ is masculine, and we're trying to bring that. And it was like, yeah, there's maybe there's some truth to that, but the charisma, yeah, over overshadowed the character. And uh, it just, well, there's so much culture and Americanism and and sexism and all these things, and what is feminine and strength and masculinity and. Right now, we're in a huge culture with toxic masculinity, and you have these two right. You have these two parts of people going, "Well, no, masculinity. There's nothing wrong with it, and we should celebrate it, and that's great," which is true. But there is also toxic versions of that, mm-hmm. and so the side who wants to get rid of masculinity altogether just lumps it all in one thing, and that becomes the problem. And I think, you know, without being nuanced, you know, Mark Driscoll, you know, that type of movement and conversation, inflammatory. It gets it gets you half the people really positively, and that's a lot of people. Mm-hmm. And I think the truth gets a smaller number of people, mm-hmm. but it's enriching. And so, you know, we see that right now in the media today. It's like shooting or cops or you know whatever it is. Mm-hmm. You hear just really inflammatory, clickbaity conversations, mm-hmm. but it, none of it's nuanced and true. Yeah. It's easier to be simple and black and white than it is to. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so. Um, I think that's one of the problems in the church is that you get this charismatic leader person who people want to follow and they're passionate and they've got a new thing and mean well, and maybe the Holy Spirit's working through them. But like in your own life and like in my own life, before you work through that family history trauma or even aware that it's there, you're up leading another family. Mm-hmm. You know, so you have this church leader who has been abused, has been abandoned, has attachment issues, has trauma. And now they're the dad of mm-hmm. right this other congregation, and it gets messy really quickly. Mm-hmm. And over history, we've seen that kings and you know mm-hmm. diplomats who are in charge with power and working out their own issues within this new realm, mm-hmm. and that's where the blood and violence comes. Mm-hmm. And I, I see a lot of people, you know, they'll look at you know the fall of a Driscoll or the fall of a you know name name anybody. You know, in the '80s, it was Jimmy Swaggart. He had a huge following, and. And then they just check out of church, and it's like, see, the church is full of hypocrites, and and so on and so forth. And you know, there's there's a lot of uh, hurt and trauma from that, uh, and and rightly so. I guess I would say, um, because God always calls the broken, you know, we're going to we're always going to see that, but. I feel like what you're doing here and what we're trying to do here is to be a resource to reach out to ministers and the pastors and staff and to catch this stuff early on because I don't remember seminary really vetting us to to see whether or not we were fit or healthy to to do this. Like <laughs> no. maybe maybe there was a questionnaire or something, but they're like, Hey, if you think you can do it, come on and Right. If God's called you to if it, God's called you, who you. are we yeah, who are we to disagree with that? So you know, I would say, you know, those people I feel like they were called, but gosh, the church just didn't have the proper uh things in place to really vet them, vet their health. Um the United Methodist Church uh I think they actually did it better than anybody that that I saw. We had to see a psychiatrist and had to meet with people yearly and so on and so forth. It was interesting, too. When Lisa went through cancer, 
um, I would meet with the ordination board every week, and they discerned, the Methodists actually discerned that I was just really uh, struggling and maybe on the verge of burnout. And, you know, and they, they, they had me coming and meeting with them regularly, which I didn't want to do, obviously. But uh, now looking back, I'm glad they did that. So kudos to the to the Methodists for having that in place. But for the most part, I don't really see churches having having that. And that's a that's a huge problem. Yeah. I mean, we have a there's a there's a large disconnection between mental health and church. You know, it's like mental health for years has been uh, a separate thing from your spiritual health and your emotional health and your physical health. Um, and, and rightly so in some ways. I mean, the the hard thing, and we're trying to write about this and talk about it now, but the hard thing about the church paralleled with psychology is that there's been a lot of fad psychology from the 50s that's junk. Mm-hmm. You know, and so the church rightly goes, oh, we don't want people getting caught up in neurosis and, and mm-hmm. individualization and self-focus mm-hmm. and, and self, you know, being able to pull yourself by your bootstraps and these things. Mm-hmm. While at the same time, we never bridge the gap for what else is there. Yeah, I actually had professors say things just like that, you know, psychobabble, you know, and pop psychology in the pulpit and, you know, and just really, just really railing against, you know, psychology and counseling and everything. But it's like, okay, well, what do y'all want us to do? Well, have them read the Bible and pray more. Like, oh, okay, we say that every week, you know, really, what are you, what do you want us to do? So, yeah, we've we've got to figure this out and, and get better at this. Right, because that's really the the cusp of how did how does all this trauma happen? How do these cults get set up? How does this religion do, religious dogma get put in to where this abuse comes from? We're going to get to the abuse part in a minute, but I think it's important to paint the picture of what's the real problem. And and the real problem in Christianity is people. <laughs> yeah. Right, we're all broken, we're all sinful, and without being aware of our having insight and wisdom as the scripture would say, uh, I always relate, you know, insight, psychology, and wisdom is scripture. It's like you have to have insight into yourself mm-hmm. through the wisdom of the Holy Spirit mm-hmm. to know where your pain points are, where your triggers are, where your hurt is, mm-hmm. or you just act out of that. Mm-hmm. And so I was talking to somebody yesterday about helping churches kind of do a family systems geneogram of the church. Oh, I love it. So to go, okay, hey, um, Life Water, let's say, mm-hmm. why did you leave, or, you know, whatever non denominational church, why did you leave? the Baptist movement or the United movement or the Catholicism because most people are leaving something to start something new. That's what mm-hmm. it seems like in America. We have mm-hmm. all these denominations, all these separations yeah, um, and, and no real, you know, consistency. And it's like, well, it's because it's like a family system. You were in an abusive system. Mm-hmm. They had some theology you didn't like. You saw how it hurt people. You saw how it didn't tend to people in the way that you thought Jesus needed to. And so you thought, I'll leave that. I'll start another thing that doesn't do that damaging thing or that does the thing I want it to do. And then I'll move on. Mm-hmm. But it's like any other family. It's like you come from an abusive family. You did. I did. We, we come from things that are neglectful. And then you try to start your own family. Well, if you don't tend mm-hmm. to that pain and that mm-hmm. and understand where that happened, why it happened, and how to get rid of it, then you just replicate it in a different way. Mm-hmm. Right? And so we're seeing that in the church. And I, and I feel like I've seen that, that the church itself is not doing the recovery from the damage. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like a pastor like Driscoll Falls, and it's like, what do they do to the congregation? What do they, how do they triage that? How do they support that? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know of anybody that has done it well. I mean, I have it, 
I mean, maybe I haven't looked and, you know, I mean, when all that stuff happens, you know, at, at this point in the game, we're not surprised when something like that happens any, any, anymore, which is sad in and of itself. But I don't know of anybody that has done that well. Um, I, I've, I've said it and I'll stand by this. Like, I think, I mean, I think like if I'm on the pastor search committee and I hire you or you to be uh, the pastor um, I, I think it's, it should be mandatory for y'all as pastors to be meeting with a counselor at least once a month or every, you know, once every six weeks doing those, doing those check-ins. Um, I think that would be, would be huge, you know, for professionals to be able to sit down and listen and, and hear the things that the congregation can't hear. They're not trained to hear, or maybe don't even want to hear. Because if you get a charismatic pastor in the pulpit and you know you take a church that has been like struggling for years and years and years maybe their heyday is gone well now you've got you know super pastor back you're going to overlook a lot of red flags because now the pews are filling up the offering baskets are are filling up but then you know boom five ten years later down the road it's all going to explode all over again if that pastor hasn't done the work in counseling yeah and i read that a little bit yesterday on the mars hill thing is like the the i heard it's really balanced in, in which the church says the people in the video or the the podcast say like well we kind of added to it you know like it wasn't just all him who you know crashed it was we as the church as the team leaders as the we let people get isolated we wanted them to be charismatic and i, and I say this a lot it's like the body of christ they want in some ways the pastor to be different and more holy and better mm -hmm. because then they don't have the same responsibility that, that pastor has. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like, well, that's Chuck Pusho. He's responsible for preaching. He's got to be holy. He can't watch porn. He can't struggle. He can't do these things, mm -hmm. but man, I can, cause I'm not a pastor, mm -hmm. you know? And so it lets me off the hook a little bit. Yeah. And so, but then as that leader, they feel isolated. They feel alone. They're not in therapy because they don't need it. Right. Mm -hmm. I'm the leader. I'm, I don't, mm -hmm. I don't need therapy because I have Jesus and I know all the things. Well, that, I, that's exactly what I said. Lisa was like, we got to go to th counseling. got to go to therapy. I was like, I, I do counseling every week. I know what they're going to tell me. I know what to do. I've just, I just, I'm just not doing it, mm -hmm. you know? So yeah, I mean, I hear that all all the time. Well, Actually. was that true though? Is the question like, did you? No, heck, no. <laughs> you know, once you get in therapy, you know, with and, and 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 really do the work and submit and trust the counselor, and then you're under, you know, the Holy Spirit. Gosh, amazing, scary things do happen, but healing does does come. So right, because it's not about doing things, right? Right. It's about processing out exactly. why you do things and where it comes from and, and where your triggers are and where, where your hurts and pains are and, and to be honest. Because yeah. I think that's the thing that you know yeah. I would love to see in the church and in myself is just as much authenticity as possible. Mm -hmm. Hey, here, here's my struggles. I can be a little egotistical or a little abrupt or I can do, you know, like a pastor mm -hmm. saying that and then mm -hmm. saying to his staff, check me on that. Mm-hmm. Hey, let's not post any pictures of me with a, a meme or a, a thing and then say it's all about Jesus or whatever. Because mm -hmm. you see that in the culture and it's like, well, you're, you know, let's not do a video intro or, you know, whatever it is that we do and the focus be on me, let's let it be on Jesus. Yeah. And when you as a staff see me falling into that, mm -hmm. then hold me accountable to that. Mm -hmm. And 
but what we hear so many times is that that's never even an option. Mm-hmm. Like that's not a conversation. Yeah. And the church kind of gets behind that and goes, Oh yeah, we love our pastor. He's the best. Let's, let's celebrate him because he's awesome. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and we as leaders should not like that and feel comfortable with that in my opinion. Yeah, I agree. Um, it makes me really uncomfortable. I agree. Um, and at the same time I get it, you know, it's we're people and we're humans and we have great intentions, but that can get messy really quickly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Um, and pastors these days, because, you know, being relevant and authentic is, is a buzzword, mm-hmm. especially in the contemporary church movement. And that's why you have pastors, you know, wearing skinny jeans and, and everything, you know, and, and looking, <laughs> I had to insert that. I'm sorry. No, you're good. Uh, but where was I going with that? And I just got sidetracked with skinny jeans. Um, well, there's a balance, right? Is that well, they will they will be vulnerable and relevant and authentic enough under the guise of because it, to me, it just those are just kind of like Christ, new Christian buzzwords now. Yeah, you know where the buzzwords when we were kids, you know, in the you and I grew up in the in the Baptist tradition. You know what were our buzzwords back then? You know. Uh, we're getting old now. I don't know if they had buzzwords. <laughs> yeah, I don't even. I mean, even buzzword is a is a buzzword. But it seems like authentic. That's all I'm trying to say is authenticity and being relevant just seem to be kind of like buzzwords. And so pastors, I think, try to capitalize on that. And then I don't know who said it, but a, a lot of times pastors just come across as trying to be like the cool hip stepdad. Yeah, you know, and people see right through it and it's been said of, of millennials that millennials have just that bs meter built in and they can see right through that inauthenticity and and that's largely why we see most millennials and and younger gen x have just checked out of the church altogether. there's a gap you know you look at the numbers in church there's a there's a gap that's just missing oh absolutely um what are some ways that you've kind of seen that play out as far as pain. So let's summarize real quick. So we have this American church culture who is not connected to mental health, who, which means that the pastors and leaders, they haven't worked through their family system trauma. They haven't worked through their own things. We have this kind of mentality that if you pray enough, if you read your Bible um, and you have enough faith in Jesus that you'll have good behavior Mm -hmm. and therefore are capable of leading a church. Mm Mm-hmm. And we know that's not the case, and we know that that's become a very problematic situation. And then we've had a new swing into um, kind of being relevant, being hip, you know, mm-hmm. being uh, authentic, mm-hmm. right? And yet that still doesn't mean what it what we want it to mean. It does still doesn't mean holy, right? And so talk about that a little bit. Uh, can you okay tighten that question up for me a little bit? Well, I mean, like. What do we want to see out of pastors? What do, what do we need to see? What's there? I remember meeting with my uh, director of missions when I was a pastor in New Orleans. He was a, a great guy, and he, um, he he just asked me one day, "How do you how do you want me to pray for you specifically?" And I just read something by the pastor Robert Murray McShane. That's and I'll botch the quote, but the quote is something like. Um, my greatest need for my people is my own personal holiness. 
in holiness in the Baptist tradition, in the Methodist tradition, it is a holiness movement. That's what John Wesley was known for is like the holiness, you know, preaching and teaching and calling people to holy living. And so this was like sort of foreign language. You know, of course, the word holy is a common word in any church, but that whole that just wasn't a part of, of my vernacular, really. And so I, I asked him to pray for my personal holiness and uh and he and he started doing it and i just gosh i began to see the the fruit of that i was a pastor uh in, in covington louisiana during that time and those that was probably the moments when i felt closest to god and really really holy like just really cutting everything out of my life i wasn't focused on being a cool hip pastor uh trying to grow the church i was just trying i was just focused on being holy and letting the overflow of that come through the preaching and the teaching and the ministry and just letting the chips fall where they may according to holiness only so um am i still on track here yeah i mean i feel like what you're saying so is, I, is so i think just and more of an emphasis across the board on on personal holiness would give the church and leadership a, a lot of mileage yeah and what i hear holiness is you know humility is being empty being nothing so god can be everything so the holy spirit can fill you and be you know it's like our sessions you know when i think i'm having you know when i have some therapeutic thing to say and i'm going to use emdr and i'm going to use the trick and the narrative and i'm going to do all these things and Clint's going to do it by using my tools to help somebody like yeah. it works. I mean, people get better, mm-hmm. but I have way more moments where mm-hmm. I don't remember saying that, mm-hmm. or I did some trivial thing that I thought was nothing oh, or right. I was tired or whatever. Yeah. And yet the person comes back the next day and says, I thought about what you said all week. And you know, then this happened and this happened. And I just had this, uh, it connected to my dad and it connected. And I'm like, Oh man, like that's totally the Holy spirit. Yeah. Or literally I'll have a moment where I'm like, okay, I don't know why I'm saying this, but I feel like the Holy Spirit's telling me to say this. And then they're like, Oh oh my gosh, like there's no way you could have known that. There's no way that could have hit. Um, and I feel like in the church, we need the same thing. You Mm -hmm. know, we have to have pastors and we have a lot of great pastors, right? This Mm -hmm. the whole point of this podcast isn't to say all Mm -hmm. pastors are bad. It's to get at how do things get so toxic? Yeah. Cause this is the other thing that I, I want people to hear listening. If you're, annoyed with your church or annoyed with your pastor finding difficulty to connect or, or whatever it's that or, or saying like oh well, they're hypocrites well we are mm-hmm. I mean part of becoming a Christian part of being in a Christian movement is that people are unhealthy yeah, and we're in need of a savior and we're broken and we're going to be difficult and we're going to be selfish and mm-hmm. we're going to want our own agendas and that's never going to change in the church mm-hmm. but there's a point in which it gets abusive and toxic that I want to talk about today does yeah. that make sense yeah absolutely so if you're out there and you're like well I just don't like it because they're selfish or they're a little you know whatever motivations are wrong like that's going to happen you can go to any church in America and that's yeah. going to be the case yeah I mean and not to get into Bible study here but you know the the very 12 that Jesus calls are the most broken inadequate unqualified people I mean the only person that was qualified to be a disciple of a rabbi is you want to take a guess it was Judas Judas had the pedigree he had the education he had the skills he was good at PR that's why they gave him the the money you know the purse to handle Mm -hmm. you know he was something like a CPA and he was the only one that had really good qualifications and the rest were just broken they were just a broken mess you know and so that gives me hope 
you know, that Jesus, Jesus is still in the business of calling broken people, but we have to bring the conversation of, 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 of mental health and trauma into it so that we can launch those people properly according to, you know, when the Holy Spirit says so and get them into ministry, not a moment sooner or later than that. And we, uh, again, we just gotta, we gotta figure that out. So yeah, that's, that's where so much trauma comes from is just, we just bring our mess into the pulpit, to the sanctuaries with us, mm-hmm. and it catches up with us eventually. Yeah, and, and since we don't have a conversation about that, and we have a system set up where p- pastors and leaders can't get help or they're weak, I mean, it, it just cycles through. I think in you know in the last decade, we've we've seen a huge increase in mental health being okay in the church, and pastors talking about going to therapy, and yeah. people talking about that from the pulpit, and I mean, you know, Broadmoor where I go, which you mentioned, mm-hmm. you know, Doctor Chuck. You know, they have Thomas Pinnell Counseling Center where Derek, you know, Derek Pierce is and other therapists that are great. Mm-hmm. So obviously they're not against therapy. Mm-hmm. Um, it was actually Dr. Chuck, uh, this is 12 years ago, he preached on depression and shared his testimony in battle with depression. And I, I, I called him immediately and he said, come on in, come in now. You know, that's what's awesome about Dr. Chuck. Any time I've reached out, he's like, come now I will make space for you absolutely I emailed him yesterday and he sent me a whole thing about prayer and I mean just you mm-hmm. know by the end of the day yeah so I feel like he was one of the you know and Mark Sutton back in the day wrote a book battling depression he was a pastor at uh, Brookwood back in the day when I started my ministry but it seems like those two at least in this area were the forerunners at at, at talking about mental health and depression and therapy and things like that yeah it's awesome and also like if you're not doing it as a leader how are you going to get your congregation to do it? How is it going to trickle down from you to your team? And each one of those team leaders has a, a group of people underneath them. And then they have the discipleship groups underneath that. And they have the Bible studies underneath that. And and so if it's not advocated for and talked about regularly and, and part of the equation, if it's a side thing for those weird people who might need it, because mm-hmm. I think that's the problem we're in right now. It's like therapy is good and counseling is great. Mm-hmm. But within the church, it's kind of like just for special cases. Yeah. Like yeah. when things get really bad. Yeah. And not as much prevention. Mm-hmm. And not as much. It's like I'm, I went to uh, Turkey, what was that, two years ago, three years ago? I can't remember. And we were meeting with the IMB, International Mission Board. Uh, we're at this fish market sitting outside in the middle of Istanbul. And we're talking about like who needs therapy essentially. And it's like, I mean, you get sent to these third world countries, isolated from your family. And there was a, a pastor there, and he, you know, they were worried about getting sent home because he was having panic attacks. Mm-hmm. And they're basically like, "Yeah, we'll send him home. I mean, we mm-hmm. can't have somebody on the field struggling with that." Mm-hmm. And it's like, man, you should kind of assume you're gonna get panic attacks, like you know what I yeah. mean? Or per, let let's let's do some work before to see how resilient you are, to see how you know what your family system is like before we send you, and then when we send you, let's make sure you're equipped and supported so that you know you yeah. can deal with it. Yeah. Instead of that's a problem. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Um, I, I would, this is maybe a radical statement. Maybe, maybe not, but being in the pastorate can just be traumatizing in and of itself because the expectations on, on pastors and leaders are just there. I mean, 
There's no way that one person can do everything that church members think that a pastor should do. You know, that he's the CEO. He's got to he's got to knock it out of the park every week. You know, he's got to be a great counselor. He's got to be he's got to be a great programmer. He's got to you know, that's just unrealistic. And and then pastors get stuck because all their chips are in on, you know, I went to seminary and I have an MDiv or I have a PhD in New Testament. What am I going to do? I'll, you know, so they're now they find themselves in a hostage situation for the next 10, 20 years. And, and just so here that pastors and, and church members um, just being in the pastorate can just be traumatizing in and of itself. And so we've got to do better at, at caring for our pastors, too. Yeah. Okay, so that's kind of why, that's kind of I mean some of we could talk about this for hours and hours, but that that's some of why this stuff happens, right? So I'm going to read a little bit. It's called so there's not really a DSM diagnostic statistic manual, right? As a therapist, we need some code to bill insurance essentially, but also right. you know the APA says we have these diagnoses, so to speak. So if you had PTSD, for example, if you're a veteran or a firefighter, or, you know a normal person who has trauma and been abused um, and you have post-traumatic stress disorder, you would get this diagnosis, but there's not really anything in the DSM for religion. There's like spiritual stress or something like that, but there's nothing else. So this lady, I can't think of her name, Mary. I can't remember it. Um, she, she's kind of pitching this idea of religious trauma syndrome. And so her definition is religious trauma syndrome is a group of symptoms that arise in response to traumatic or stressful religious experiences. While religious trauma syndrome is not an official diagnosis, it is common experience shared among many who have escaped cults, fundamentalist religious groups, abusive religious settings, and other painful experiences with religion. The symptoms of religious trauma are, are comparable to that of complex PTSD. Mm-hmm. And so some of those um, symptoms are confusing thoughts and reduced ability to think critically. Mm. So I think that's one of the things you see in fundamentalist churches or these these churches where the pastor is the leader and there's no questions and, mm-hmm. and like you said we can't we can't question whether there was a virgin birth or is that mm-hmm. you don't teach children growing up in that to think critically to ask mm-hmm. questions to be able to figure out how do we make sense of the fall and seven mm-hmm. days and creation mm-hmm. and all these things that makes sense yeah so I'm trying yeah. to point to like you know, the symptoms, but also kind of how it plays in. Uh, the next one is negative beliefs about self, others in the world. Mm-hmm. So a lot of times what we see is, um, especially in the Christian world, what I hear religious trauma is, is, well, God hates me. I'm mm-hmm. going to go to hell if, if I don't do everything perfectly. Mm-hmm. Other Christians are hypocritical and untrustworthy, mm-hmm. um, which makes God ultimately untrustworthy. Mm-hmm. He commented that you just jump in. I'm just going off the um, rails. Read that last part again. Negative belief about self, others in the world. I've never thought about that, but um, yeah, I mean, the word that we use is is legalism. I mean, we all know a person that, and, and a lot of times it's it, it's not even people that are in uh, fundamentalist uh, traditions. Um, a lot of times it's just like maybe it was somebody that grew up in church, and then they, you know, in their twenties they get really on fire for Jesus, and they give up smoking and chewing and all this stuff and now everybody that smokes and chews and dances or plays cards you know they're of the devil and 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 yeah there's no you know there's no there's no wonder why people don't want to come to church and be around be around people like that because there's no grace and going back to the mark driscoll thing that was one of my critiques of him for all the charisma that he had they had sort of 
that movement and that tradition, I feel like, had um, sort of appointed themselves to be the doctrinal police of, of everyone. So if you were from another tradition that believed something that was still considered orthodox according to church history you're like no you know you can't do that and and i just saw like that decade so much legalism you know in the pulpits and amongst the church members because of uh really i probably because the charismatic pastors were doing such a good job at exciting the people around this stuff that you know we just bought into it and, and went along with it um, so yeah, I mean, it definitely colors the way that we see, you know, we see everybody as the other, which is the exact opposite of how Jesus saw everyone. He, he <laughs> exactly. saw everyone as broken and in need of a savior and grace, you know, the woman at the well. And, you know, I mean, the woman called in adultery, like just go back to the basic stories of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and see how Jesus handled people. Take your cues from that. Don't take your cues from charismatic pastor guy or whatever, and I think generally you'll you'll be okay. It's good living out your faith. Yeah. So uh, trouble making decisions, feeling depressed, anxiety, grief, anger, lethargy, a sense of feeling lost, directionless, alone, a lack of pleasure, pleasure, interest in things you used to enjoy, a loss of community, feeling isolated, feeling behind the times with cultural happenings. Right, flashbacks, just to so basically all the same symptoms of PTSD, yeah. except very geared to um, church life, and and so I think what's upsetting about that is that's different and unique to um, what they call RTS, religious trauma syndrome, is that you have such a skewed view of some of the most important things in life. I mean, the world has that, and we all have trauma, and we all learn these things. But when you when you grow up in the church. And it has a rigid, rigid view, and it has a black and white view, and it has a in and out view. It, it's so traumatic because it is supposed to be the safest place you can you can find on the earth. Mm-hmm. And you're hearing from the pulpit, you know, these different messages of God and love and grace and sacrifice, but then you're not seeing it in the relationships around you. Mm-hmm. And I feel like we've seen that a lot um, in our culture in American church. Is just the the movement of, um, you know, legalism, like you said, just mm-hmm. doing the thing and but not not connecting it back to the family system, which I think is the the big church's problem and then the pastor's problem. And so for me, I mean, obviously I'm biased because I'm a therapist, but it's like it's all family systems trauma and drama that's not mm-hmm. being resolved that's mm-hmm. being brought into the church. Mm-hmm. And then they're taking the teachings of Jesus and the teachings of the Word and and twisting them and then playing them out. And projecting them onto their new family, mm-hmm. you know, to survive essentially. Yeah, Does that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So I think we have to be aware of this, and people that are out there that are listening that are like, "Yeah, I feel like I hate religion, or I hate church, or you know, I don't, you know, I don't trust people." Mm-hmm. Or, you know, maybe you went through something that was extremely traumatic, mm-hmm. and maybe, and, and I think that's very likely. But mm-hmm. that doesn't mean that there aren't churches that are safer. Right, so there's these two parts. It's like there are yeah. church, the church is going to be messy no matter where you go. Yeah, there going to be people who are selfish gosh, and ridiculous 100%. and petty and yeah. you know all that stuff. But there's a gauge where if it's that toxic and that abusive, you got to get out of there mm-hmm. and find one that's not. Mm-hmm. So, why do you think so many people blame religion in general or Christianity in in general um, instead of blaming people? 
Because that's what tends to happen, right? Is that they, they blame God or the Bible instead yeah, of... Yeah, well, okay, so this is... So I'll put the my pastor shoes on again. Um, I mean, we still have this one little problem, Houston, which is sin. Right. You know, um, we all like our sin, and we all like what our, our sin, you know, does for us until it's destroying us, and then, you know, we reach out to a therapist or, or a pastor. But I feel like... Um, I feel like a lot of people, you know, they they find a blemish in the church. You know, sister so and so is a hypocrite, and and her family controls the church, and so on and so forth. And they hurt me, and I couldn't break in, and yada yada yada. There's a myriad of of excuses, and and most of the time people will will allow that to happen once, maybe twice, and then because they're just in the world and and doing what they want to do, you know, enjoying their sin, it just becomes convenient to not go to church because you've done the research, you have the data to churches, uh, and you have your reason not to go back to church. And so it's, I mean, it's just easy. I mean, now that I'm not preaching uh, weekly and leading a church, it's easy. I, I get it for the first time in 20 years. It's easy to not feel like going to church and not want to go to church. Mm-hmm. But I think people just, um, they look for reasons, and as soon as they find something, they're like, yep, hypocrites, I'm out. Yeah, and I think people do that because they, they already have so much trauma going on. They want to feel safe, and they show up, and they don't feel safe. Mm-hmm. You know, they don't feel heard. They don't feel seen. They don't feel taken care of. You know, if you show up to a, a church and your kid has, you know, disability, and they have no resources for that. Mm-hmm. If you show up to a church and you're divorced and you have one, you know, you have, you want to sit in the congregation, but you have two little kids, but you don't feel safe leaving. You know, there's all these ways that I think the, the, the church has to be educated on mm-hmm. families and what they need. And especially in the last decade, we've moved so fast past how churches, like how families in America have always been. I mean, mm-hmm. This has always been a problem, but now it looks so, the landscape looks so different than it used to be that we have to be more informed. Mm-hmm. We have to be preemptive yes. in the way we do things. We're going to set up a child care situation, or we're going to set up you know, youth, or we're going to set up these things. We have to be able to go, well, what about this? Mm-hmm. You know, like, let's make sure we cover this. And you're not going to be able to cover it all. Mm-hmm. But then when you don't, knowing how to respond to those people in a loving, compassionate way, mm-hmm. you know, and reconnecting and making them feel safe again and taking ownership and all those kind of things. And that's the stuff I hear that doesn't happen. Yeah. It's like church is here. We're here to preach. We're here to do worship. We're here to, mm-hmm. you know, do that and move on. Mm-hmm. And I think the, the model is just broken, really. I mean, it, again, it's just unreasonable for one man or woman that's a pastor to do everything that they do for weeks upon weeks upon weeks upon weeks with no sabbaticals, no, you know, nothing. I mean, a vacation once a year. I mean, that that's nothing. I think just the, the model... The contemporary church model in and of itself is just Dr. Chuck, I hope you don't hear this, but uh, <laughs> the, the, or Dr. Touch, uh, just it, the contemporary church model, the way we do church, I don't even really think it's biblical. Like one man doing everything. Now I know, granted, once you get to a certain level, there's staff and they're like, no, see, we're doing it, we're doing it, but still we're taking you know, paid professionals that have degrees or certifications or trainings, and we're elevating them to these pedestals 
And it does send a message to the congregation. You know, they're the elite. They're the chosen ones. They're the ones that have the biblical training and understanding. And we're just going to blindly follow their lead. So I just think the, the model is, is broken, too. And we need to get back to discovering what the, 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 the true biblical model was, you know, which would go to the book of Acts. But even the, the book of Acts, you know, they're trying to figure things out as they go. So, again, we always got to come back to the Holy Spirit and discernment and community and having these kind of discussions to be able to figure out what's appropriate for our particular context. Because there's things that Broadmoor can do that River Park can't do, and there's things that Lifewater can do that River Park can't do, and so on and so forth. So we, we have to always be coming back to our context in prayer, in fasting, in the Holy Spirit, and really seeking what God has for this particular context. My first uh, church conference I went to was uh, Rick Warren's Saddleback Church. Uh, I'd never been out of Louisiana. I was working on staff at a large church, and the pastor said, I'm sending you and you to Rick Warren's church to get all the answers. And so you walk up to Dr. Warren's church, and it's literally a glass cathedral. And it's just it's like going to Disneyland. I mean, it was just amazing. <laughs> And I knew right then, this is what God is calling me to do. And, uh, and so I hit the ground running, came back and for the next 20 years, tried to do that in some version or form. And then everything hit the fan and, and God began to pull that out of me and show me, hey, that's not the answer. So I don't know why I went on that tangent. But um, again, the model, I think, is, is, is broken. And it's time for us to pray and discern and fast about a new model in a new way. Yeah, and I, and I think there are a lot of churches that are doing that, that mm-hmm. have uh, that have changed and got healthier and have their pastors go to therapy and that go yeah, to I therapy. And um, I know our, our pastor does that. I know a lot of other pastors. It's been really cool in our community in Treeport and Bossier too. Man, well, I see a ton of pastors, associate pastors. They have us come in and do trainings in their staff. They have us come to events when they have a problem. They have us come to their youth and talk. Mm-hmm. I mean, so the fact that we as counselors are getting to come there, there's a lot of, I mean, there's a lot smaller egos that we're getting to hang out with, right? Mm-hmm. Because pride is the thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's really awesome for a pastor to ask me to come in. I always feel insecure because I never want to step on toes or say I know more or be more spiritual or anything like that. I just want to add to. Yeah. And last week, um, Pastor Chuck preached about, um, and me and you talked about this, mm-hmm. but the wild olives com- concept. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, man, that's just stuck with me. This idea that we, as counselors, are the, these wild olives that are out here trying to share the go- Christian counselors, trying to share the gospel, trying to reach people, trying to discipleship people in a safe way because the church has been so hurt and so uninformed and so educated that they can't always do it with mm-hmm. all the people that they need to do it. Mm-hmm. But always remembering to go, well, but the church is the root. And although that system might be broken, mm-hmm. broken yeah, absolutely. the church the, is the church. The gates of Hades will not prevail against it. Right. You, and, you, you cited, I think Dr. Chuck cited that in his message, or you, you cited that the other day. Yeah, I mean, this is still, I don't like this word, but the, the program of Jesus is still the church. And the <laughs> gates of hell, Hades, are not going to prevail against it. I mean, that, that, is, that is definitely true. Right, and so our view is how do we how do we support what we think is the roots? Because mm-hmm. without the roots, we wouldn't be here. 
right? We wouldn't be able to be counselors. And ultimately, I don't think we would even necessarily be needed if, if everybody was as healthy as they could be healthy, but that's just not the world we live in. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we're another thing, right? We're another part of that body that does a different thing, a different tool, and we need both. Mm-hmm. We need healthy spirituality, healthy pastors, as much as we need healthy therapists. Mm-hmm. And because we live in a broken society with trauma, they're few and farther between. And so, you know, we're hoping through these conversations and through the education and stuff we're doing to be able to open that door to helping pastors, to helping teams, to be healthier so they catch things earlier, mm-hmm. so they're more aware of it. Not to be perfect. Right. right? None of us are perfect. We're all right. going to sin. We're all going to have conflict. We're all going to have things. Mm-hmm. But there's a spectrum in which that can stay mm-hmm. to where it doesn't become abusive, mm-hmm. where it doesn't become neglectful. Mm-hmm. Where people can come and they're not re, you know, they're not being re-traumatized in a in a family system, quote unquote, mm-hmm. and being triggered by this church that's like, well, this is how my dad treats me, and this is how I've always been treated, and I've always felt isolated, or I've always felt unheard, or cast out, or mm-hmm. does that make sense? Yeah. And so it's like the the goal is to just make people aware of like, huh, maybe we should talk to the staff about like their family systems, mm-hmm. because if you have a church and all you do is meet about church. But as a team of staff members, you never know what anybody's struggle is. Mm-hmm. Then bam. And again, I met with a pastor last last year or six months ago, and they had had a, a staff member get busted with some illegal things. And, and he said, you know, I checked on this guy. We met for Bible study. We mm-hmm. I loved on him. We're big into therapy. And yet, and I'm like, yeah, of course. There's going to be times where people just lie and they yeah. hide things and they yeah. can't get to it. And But if you do that with everybody, then you're going to catch a lot of the things that don't become a major crisis. Mm-hmm. And I think mm-hmm. even even then, we're trying to change a cycle in a system where 10 years from now, it's really easy for people to come forward and confess more because they realize everybody's got this stuff instead of them being the minority. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. I'm the only one who watches porn. I'm the only one who struggles with addiction. I'm the only mm-hmm. one who struggles with anger. I'm the only one who would ever, you know, do this thing. Mm-hmm. And that's sort of what people feel when they go to religion Mm-hmm. You know, like you're the other, get it together. Mm-hmm. You won't have any problems and you can join the rest of us. Yeah. Yeah. Not that any of us are talking about what our problems are because they're not there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's funny that, and, and Lisa will attest to this, my wife, Lisa, um, you know, so inevitably you come in as a pastor and, you know, it's best foot forward and, you know, you're still combing your hair and ironing your shirts pretty good, you know, in those in the honeymoon phase. And then when, you sort when of had hair. Uh, yeah, when I, <laughs> uh, and and then you inevitably the honeymoon phase is over, the deacons or the elders or somebody starts coming at you and you're you know but the moment that we settled in and we saw this everywhere we went, the moment that we really settled into vulnerability and sharing, you know, you know, I started opening up about depression and anxiety and childhood trauma. That's when people were like, I will let you be my pastor now. Yeah. I will let you. Like, I had a lady tell me uh, at my last church, she was like, yeah, I just, I looked at you and your skinny jeans and I just had you, I just had you figured out. But then the the night I shared my testimony and talked about my father and not knowing my father, meeting my biological father until I was 17 years old, like those were the moment those are the moments that really draw your your people in and and i see that as uh and and i you know in seminary they they taught us 
hey, you know, don't really do that. Like you have to be strong. You have to be confident. You have to have it all together lest the people won't follow you. And, you know, as fours, we're rule breakers anyway. So I just I just broke the rules and started doing the opposite and being vulnerable and open and sharing my junk. And that presented the greatest ministry, you know, opportunities. But, but I think Jesus did that. You know, I think the Apostle Paul did that. I think, I think they all did that because they all understood that really, well, St. Paul says, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives within me. He knows that that's the Spirit of Christ living in him and doing the ministry through him. And, and pastors know that. Like, we know that going in, but then the hustle and bustle and the trauma comes, and then we just kind of go into automatic mode and just ministry mode like, yeah i mean i think i think he did a really good job of painting the picture and and i mean in a very short amount of time but you know it's it's both it's it's the people in the congregation who are hurting who are coming for safety who are coming for salvation who are coming to be seen and heard and met and and what we don't realize is is man the teams the staffs have those same desires and needs Mm-hmm. Yet they've never been tended to either. Mm-hmm. But now they're having all this pressure to tend to hundreds, if not thousands of people with those same pains. And no one's ever tending to the actual thing. Mm-hmm. It's like the gospel is great. The gospel can move hearts. The, the gospel can bring people to salvation. But sanctification is a whole nother thing. Mm-hmm. You know, having a sanctified church who is making things not mm-hmm. about them. And, mm-hmm. and so... If you are in pain and you feel less than, you know, like this list says, if you feel anxious and depressed and you don't trust people and you feel unloved and you feel in or out, if you feel like, um, you know, unsafe, if people are unsafe, the world's unsafe, God's unsafe, then you come in this fight or flight mechanism Mm -hmm. ready to jump off at any point. Mm -hmm. But the staff's kind of that way, too. Mm -hmm. And so everybody's coming to seek validation Mm-hmm. Because they don't feel loved and they don't feel unique and they don't feel special. Mm-hmm. Now the gospel message is: you are loved and you are valuable and you are special because of what God has done. Mm-hmm. And I think where Paul and Jesus were and and what we're trying to do is say, yeah, because that's true. And at the end of the day, it's only the Holy Spirit working in you and through you mm-hmm. that that's about. Mm-hmm. Because even Jesus said, right, I can't do anything without the Father. Mm-hmm. You know, he he wasn't even taking credit for himself. Yeah, you know, yeah. and so Paul just follows that up and says, you know, I can't take any credit. And so, but obviously, you have to be a healthy person mm-hmm. to humble yourself and be okay with your weaknesses and your brokenness. But that means people have to be okay with it. We have to have a church that's okay with brokenness and messiness and sin. Mm-hmm. And right now, we I just feel like so many churches they don't want to acknowledge that. Mm-hmm. And, so, and and again, that falls into family history and family systems, and we don't talk about our problems, and we don't let this outside of the house, and mm-hmm. we don't keep, you know, it's like mm-hmm. the church is made up of a bunch of people who have families, who have parents, mm-hmm. and they're coming to find a new family in a new way, but they haven't healed from the old way. Mm-hmm. And that goes for both staff and congregation. Yeah. And I think the healthier churches we see are people who are like, hey, I've worked on my junk. Mm-hmm. I've dealt with my ther- you know, my trauma. I've mm-hmm. dealt with my depression. I've de- dealt with my anxiety, you know, mm-hmm. and I still have some, and I'm still dealing with it. Mm-hmm. But we're doing this together. Yeah, Matt Lewis at LifeWater. You know, we're in a series right now, and, and I'll be speak. I think you're speaking there in, in August. We're both speaking there in August. I'll be sharing my story. Matt 
kicked this the the series off and you know he went into everything you know i was in therapy while he was in seminary like mm -hmm. you know the world looks at that and they're like oh you you should have automatically been disqualified but he's just completely open and raw and and uh yeah we need more of that like we 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 need more of that and not you know i'm gonna get up there and just let her rip and just lay it all you know, lay it all on, on the line, let the chips fall, fall where they may. And then I'm going to, you know, and, and I'm kind of in, we're in a partnership with, with them. You know, I like people from the church will come and see me for counseling and they're going to, they're going to see warts and all. And I really think that that's just, that's where we have to go in the next, you know, 10, 15, 20 years. Yeah. I think it's, it's such a balance. And I, and I want to express like, if you're out there listening, we're not telling you to go and air all your your laundry no, to everybody no, no, right no, this second. No, no. Right. It, it's a process. And so in order to get to a place where you as a leader, you as a pastor, you as a, a Christian can share, can do what Scripture says, which is boast in our weaknesses, mm -hmm. then you have to be, first you have to know what your weaknesses are. Mm -hmm. And then you have to have worked with the Holy Spirit enough to have confidence in your worth and value outside of those weaknesses. Mm -hmm. Very good. So you have to be able to say, hey, listen, every once in a while I struggle with porn or every once in a while I struggle with anger or, you know, I yelled at my wife the other day or I struggle with anxiety and I have panic attacks or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. But you have to be able to say that because you don't feel such chronic shame. Yeah. Yeah. You have to be able to say, I can boast in this to people because it actually mm -hmm. doesn't have anything to do with me. Mm -hmm. yeah. And everything I'm trying to do is to point to Jesus and how good he is. Yeah. And for people to recognize that, of course, we all have problems. Mm -hmm. Of course, we all have struggles. That's why we need Christ mm -hmm. is because we're all going to struggle. And, and is it a faith issue that you have anxiety? I don't know. We're going to have to walk that out together. It could be a chemistry issue and not a character issue, mm -hmm. or it could be a character issue. Mm -hmm. But you're not going to find out outside of honesty and authentic and safe relationships. Mm -hmm. Yeah, very good. Because you yeah. can't just think about it in your head. Yeah. You can't just, the Holy Spirit isn't just for you to, to dwell in your heart and open your mind and you to pray and go, okay, here's all the answers. Mm -hmm. God gave us the model that we're to connect with each other, that we're not, it's not good for us to be alone. And no. that through those relationships, we, and transparency and confessing our sins to one another, and then we'll be what? Healed. Mm -hmm. Right? We can't mm -hmm. find healing if we don't confess our sins. Mm -hmm. But we can't boast in our weaknesses if we haven't confessed our sins. Mm -hmm. And we can't confess our sins unless we've found safe people mm -hmm. who we're able to confess our sins to because they've confessed their sins to us. Yeah. Yeah. They've been open to us about their pain and their struggles. And so when we have pastors from the pulpit like Dr. Chuck who say, yeah, I struggle with depression or I go to therapy or I've done this. Or, you know, recently his, um, his wife's sister was is sick and you know he he was on stage and uh, broke down I mean, he mm -hmm. just got a text message on the way up there oh, wow. and i was just so proud of him yeah. for being vulnerable and open and honest and then the church stopped in the middle of the sermon prayed yeah. for him loved yeah. on him and I, I just couldn't have been more prouder for somebody who was willing to be vulnerable and say listen man it hurts yeah. It's not about faith. It's not about holiness. It's not about anything that you're grieving and that you're anxious and that you're worried and that you're sad. Mm -hmm. Those are the human condition. Mm -hmm. But it's through relationship where we can find out together, is that about being closer to God? Maybe it is. Maybe we do need to, you know, maybe we are worried too much. Maybe we are having panic attacks because we don't have the right view of God, ourselves, and others. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But your worth and value isn't dependent on that. 
mm-hmm. in God's eyes. And I think it has been for so many of us in our parents' eyes, mm-hmm. right? That mm-hmm. it's this family system, family trauma of like, well, all I've ever known is that I have to perform. I have to, I have mm-hmm. to be good. Yeah. I have to not have any problems because I don't want to stress my parents out mm-hmm. because I'm responsible for their feelings. I'm responsible for their security. I'm responsible for them to be okay. I need to be okay so they're okay. Mm-hmm. And then we transfer that to God. Mm-hmm. And our church sometimes, because it's this broken system of mm-hmm. families, says the same thing. Yeah. You know, yeah. And, and, and now we're finally, I think the beauty of where we're at right now with the mental health theology blend is we're starting to see how that all works together through the teachings of Christ. And that was never the plan in the first place. Mm-hmm. Yeah, one word that... And Sorry, I'm surprised, that was a tangent. No, that, I was like, here, take my money. That, that was awesome. <laughs> Glad I came. Uh, one word I'm surprised hasn't popped up today is the word grace. Like grace, if, if the Bible teaches anything and if God is anything, God is grace. You know, we say God is love, God is holy, holy, holy. And scripture testifies to all of that. But but God is grace and it's 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 really comes back to the grace of God. That's where the healing it really begins is in the grace of God. And, you know, I talk to people on the street and they're like, the reason why I don't go to church is because of this. You know, I was raised this way in a fundamentalist, you know, vein. And the people, you know, God is this or the church is this, you know. And I'll look at them and I'll say, you know what? I don't believe in that God either. Right. Like, I don't believe, I, I don't blame you for not believing in God. I don't believe in that God. Let me tell you about the God that I do believe in. And, it, you know, it always comes back to grace. You know, the woman at the well, the woman calling adultery. How did Jesus handle sinners? And my testimony flows out of how he handled me, you know, a sinner. And he handled me with grace, not with this iron judgmental fist. You know, the, the analogy of the, the, the kid, you know, burning ants with the magnifying glass, you know, that, that's not God. You know, I know the scripture teaches that God is a God of justice and a God of grace and love and God, you know, there's wrath in God. I mean, there's definitely those attributes are there, but grace in the end wins. Well, yeah. And he's also not calling us to cast that out. And so I think so many people, so much people's religious trauma is seeing a person who's in authority or a a system that's in authority um, seeking out God's justice, right? When he says it's, it's vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. Yeah. He's saying that's at, that's at the end. Mm -hmm. That's at eternity. Mm -hmm. That's when all things are restored, that there will be full justice and whatever that looks like. That's not now. And I think Mm -hmm. so many times they have, you know, struggled with homosexuality or they've struggled with this or that. And, and they've seen people be hateful and Mm -hmm. seek justice and Mm -hmm. seek, vengeance, you know, thinking, Oh, I'm going to take up for God, or I'm going to, I'm going to make people do what God says. Mm -hmm. And and you hear, you see it on social media and you see it in our media and it becomes this us versus them thing. And that's never how Jesus treated it. Well, that's how the crusades were started. You know, you take any religious crusade in, in history that that's really where it begins is the, you know, the moment you, you know, you draw the line in the sand, that's when crusade. So we're in something like crusades now, you know, there's not actual bloodshed, you know, happening in our context, but, you know, like we are slaughtering. The church is so good at slaughtering their own. And we, you know, we've got to, again, we just got to stop. We've got to stop doing that. Yeah. And I would push and say it's not necessarily the church, the body of Christ that's doing that, but 
broken yeah, the, people. Yeah, the broken, unhealthy people that are misrepresenting the gospel. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so if you're out there and you're listening and you've yeah. been abused or you've been hurting and, and you're, you're, you have a list of reasons why you don't like church or you don't like God, or we probably agree with you. Mm-hmm. You know, we would probably say that's bad theology. Mm-hmm. That's not what the Bible says. You're right. That's not how someone should have treated you. Mm-hmm. And that has nothing to do with Jesus or God or the or the church that Jesus brought to mm-hmm. save. And, and unfortunately, unfortunately, the answer is Jesus. Mm-hmm. Because you can leave Jesus in the gospel and not know what that is and not sit with somebody and really learn. But the answer isn't anywhere else. Mm-hmm. Because all the rest of the world thinks the same thing that these abusive people thought. Yeah. They treat you the same way. They do the same things. They're just as broken. Yeah. And, you know... I want to, and and that's part of my calling now, in you know, in the ministry and being a pastoral counselor is, you know, I've I've looked in all the other, all the other places. I've looked in a lot of other places. You know, I've looked into all the Eastern philosophies, and because I felt like I had to have something, you know, to hold on to, because I think intuitively God just designs us to know that yes, you you do do need something to cling on to, and and it's me, it's God. So I went looking, you know, in a lot of places, into Buddhism and Taoism and uh, just a, a lot of different places. And um, the grace of Jesus just makes sense. Mm-hmm. Like nothing translates and heals like the grace of Jesus. And when you taste and see that the Lord is good, when you taste and see what the true gospel is, that the Lord is good... You don't want anything else, like like you have it. But to your point, it ha- you know we have to work all through all the dark stuff and the trauma to to even get to that point. And so one thing that in my, in my testimony, like after I after Lisa was healed and God spoke those two things, I was just a blank sheet of paper at that point. And and the only thing I felt the Holy Spirit saying during that season was, okay, here's the blank sheet of paper. And this is the only doctrine or theology that you're allowed to have. I am God. Mm-hmm. Or I am. Which again, you know, that's, I knew it was the Holy Spirit because that's God's covenant name. I am. I am the great I am. And um, I wonder if there's anybody out there listening that just needs to allow the Holy Spirit get back to that point. Mm-hmm. Where you lay aside your tradi- your tradition, your dogma, your your doctrine for the moment and you just let the Holy Spirit do a real work in you through prayer and fasting and then see what happens when you come out on the other side. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like I had that experience in seminary um, with fasting and praying and, and just being healed from so much family trauma. And, um, you know, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be married now if it wasn't for their, the mix of therapy, theology and community. You know, I had friends and people around yeah. me loving on me. For the first time, I could be imperfect and share my struggles and my sin and my brokenness. And people were like, yeah, me too. And we did mm-hmm. that in community, combined with going to therapy, meeting privately with someone and saying, okay, here's my real junk that I really don't want to tell anybody. And they just, yeah, okay. And they made it make sense, and they put it mm-hmm. in context of my family. Mm-hmm. They put it in context of my trauma. They put it in context of the military, and they... They helped me understand that, um, you know, they listened to my story and they heard it and they, you know, put a new lens on my eyes. And so those scales kind of fell off and 
and then you know the holy spirit did his thing and mm-hmm. me and you do that weekly with each other oh yeah for sure yeah, yeah i can call you anytime and say hey man i gotta confess this or i gotta be honest about this mm-hmm. or you know and that saves my life mm-hmm. and I, I said this the other day it's super freeing to to know that there are people like you people like my wife people like my friend cj other others aaron aaron my friend aaron crawford you know people in my life that lane Killerow, can't yeah lane, saint lane saint lane uh, that I can share the worst things mm-hmm. and the details of, yep. and you guys love me, and you go, yeah, that makes sense based on what we know about you and mm-hmm. based on what your struggles are and based on your family, and you don't say, keep doing it. Mm-hmm. You're like, how can I pray for you? How can I help you? Okay. And then the next week you might call and say, hey, here's what I'm struggling with. Here's what's going on, and, and we just do that together in community, and that's church. That's church. That's when the church is being the church. Yeah, I mean, literally. I mean, that's the model. That's the original model. It's crazy, but, I mean, <laughs> so just for people to know, Uriah doesn't work in the in the Shreveport office right now. He's in the Bozier office 100% of the time. And so today for the podcast, he came over to just be in the on the podcast. And so I haven't seen him in the office in weeks um, other than staff meetings. But literally before we walked in the podcast, we had I had several missed calls. There was a crisis, somebody coming in, and one of our friends came in and was here weeping, didn't have an appointment, mm-hmm. but a mutual person, me and him know, and we sat with him and we prayed with him, and we were going to do the podcast, but we pushed it back some to be able to do that and got him some resources, and and it's that's being the church. You know that this person may or may not be a Christian. Who knows? Uh, you know. Yeah. Well, I didn't even know if he was a Christian. Or right. Not. I just laid hands on him and prayed for him. Right. And so it's like, and he thanked us and mm-hmm. it was engaged. And but he said he didn't know. You know where else to go, and to be able to go to jujitsu and hang out and go to you know go to board games and go to do things that we do and go out to eat and get to know different people in community in our own relationships. Mm-hmm. And through that, have people not specifically, but feel the the ability to come and and dump in crisis. Mm-hmm. Should, it, it is what the church is for, mm-hmm. and there's some amazing churches doing that. Yeah. But if if that's not the main goal, to be a safe place, to be an open place for people to come who are a mess in their crises with their junk, and to have the skill and the awareness and self awareness to deal with it and not put our junk on them, mm-hmm. then we're missing it. Mm-hmm. And so um, I think it was amazing today that mm-hmm. this, that you yeah. happened to be here. That all happened at the same time. And like, yeah, that's the Lord. I mean, there's no, no way that would, I wouldn't have had time to do it. You wouldn't have had time to do it. You wouldn't even have been here. Right. Right. You know, for somebody to just randomly show up looking for both of us mm-hmm. and we both happen to be here and both able to make time to do it. Yeah. Yeah. It was crazy. Yeah. God is faithful. He is. He's God good. is faithful. All right. We went on all kinds of tangents, but that was good. Um, yeah, this is part one. Okay, we'll part do, one. We'll do part two of religious religious abuse and, and problems in the church and how we can help. Um, any closing thoughts or ideas or comments? I had one a minute ago. Let's see if I can pull it back up. Um, I would say, you know, sometimes I'll have young men or young women come to me and they're discerning their call to ministry. and um, But I would say that, you know, being in this role – outside of you know working in the church as a as a clergy appointed working in a church that i really get to be the hands and feet and the eyes and the ears of jesus at here and at jujitsu and all the places that i go more and so i would just say um just go go with the grace um of jesus that is in you imparted by the holy spirit 
and and be the church like don't be that overbearing you know christian person that's beating on their chest and holier than thou but just be be the salt of the earth you know and i and i think that that's why you're drawing people here and people for the past three years have been drawn to cdc is because that that's how you do it you go out there you're not ashamed of being a follower of christ but you're you're doing it right so i would say let's go out and be the salt of the earth and do it do it in grace and humility and love and and if we keep doing that we're going to make an impact and help people find the path to healing definitely um if you're if you're out there and you're listening i guess i would just lastly say if you're a pastor or you're a christian um you know if your church isn't emotionally healthy if it's not working on its awareness of its family system and its systems in general if if the staff meetings aren't about checking in on people's you know stress and anxiety if everybody's hiding those things then please get some help please have one of us we do trainings we come in and meet with churches and help them get their teams on on track um we come in during crises and triage things when pastors fall or staff members fall or struggle or you know but we have to move the world has changed too much there's the congregation is so full of people with anxiety and depression and addiction Mm -hmm. in a way that's never been before Mm -hmm. and so yeah maybe we could get away with it 10 20 years ago Mm -hmm. you know maybe it it wasn't as bad and so you know it's just this kind of continual downward cycle of spiritual and emotional you know decline but I feel like it, you know, if you're listening, please advocate, you know, if you're a, just a member, if you just show up on Sundays, mm-hmm. you know, take care of yourself, get in therapy yourself. Because I've seen, I mean, like me and you meeting, I, I have so many clients that I meet with who, who are in the church, they get healthy, they go through therapy, and then they immediately want to start serving in that way. You know, they're like, I, I got healthy. I need to be doing discipleship. I want to be doing this with other people. Now I understand where all this came from. It's so easy for me to be able to point out in their life where it all came from and help them find healing. And, mm-hmm. and it's like, that's just the gospel. It's just yeah. discipleship. That's go make disciples to all nations. Mm-hmm. You know, that's the Great Commission. And, uh, and I love that we get to do that as counselors. I love that we get to partner with churches. And so, again, I just end with it, it, it is the church. As much as we critique I mean, therapy can be critiqued. There's a ton to critique about counseling. None of us are perfect, but it's both. It's it's having the church. It's having spirituality. It's having uh, doctors and lawyers and therapists who are Christians, who are out discipling, who are healthy. Mm-hmm. It's all of us together who can you know allow the gospel to shine and for people to come to salvation, and then hopefully sanctification to where they're going out and making disciples in their own lives. Mm-hmm. Yeah, amen. Good stuff, amen. man. Appreciate stuff. you coming in. Yeah, thanks for having me. Absolutely. All right, guys, um, hope this was helpful to you. I know that uh, it was helpful to me, so I appreciate the information and you sharing stuff. And uh, please subscribe. Please like us on Facebook. Please go to our pages uh, and all the things and all the social media outlets. Y'all know what to do. Um, God bless and have a good day.